A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Banging Book Club, the fortnightly podcast where we discuss books about sex and gender. And this week we're doing a live recording at Zadell in London. I'm Hannah Witten. I'm Lena Norms. And I'm Lucy Moon. And today we have with us Juno Dawson. Hello. <laughs> so this month we read The Gender Games, which is Juno's latest book first adult non-fiction yes. book correct still got some accurate description nailed it we totally read it <laughs> thank you um so basically do you want to kind of give a little intro to you yeah. to the lovely people Not that here you need and an intro. listeners oh, bless yeah. you lena thank you um so yeah so i wrote a book <laughs> half, a gla- <laughs> half a glass of wine and four spicy nuts <laughs> and that's i'm gone i've moved house this week so i feel honestly like i've survived something i've just been knee deep in flat pack furniture all week it's all i can think about knee there's deep. like one thing left to do and to be honest it's all i can think about um <laughs> so when i was allowed to think about other things um other than ikea other flat pack furniture is available um <laughs> I was approached to write a book. Um, A publisher read an interview that I did to, and this sounds a bit naff now, to sort of announce my gender transition about three years ago. Um, I'd already been, my gender transition had kind of been in the offing for a couple of years before that, and I'd been having some therapy, and all my friends knew, and my publisher knew, and anybody who really cared to ask Juno, why is your hair gone bright red? And <laughs> you're looking a bit more like a woman. Yeah, well, there's a reason. Um, some spoiler p- alert. P- yes, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> people, people, people knew, but because I, at that point, I think I'd had like six novels for young adults out, and there was a big nonfiction title called This Book Is Gay as well. So I knew that kind of sooner or later I was going to have to kind of officially say, surprise. <laughs> um, and I was at the Attitude Awards that year with my friends and a journalist called Patrick Strudwick said, well, why don't we sort of announce your transition in a BuzzFeed interview and we will do an interview with you. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a plan because then I just have to do it the once and I don't have to keep telling people. Just literally link people. Like, <laughs> like, the, like the Twitter thing for, for my American fans. Um, sort of, um, so I did a big interview with Patrick and about three or four weeks after that had gone on BuzzFeed, my lovely editor, Kate, who was somewhere in the room at the back, um, just sent me an email from out the blue saying, have you ever thought about writing about your experience as a trans woman? And I was kind of like, huh. And I sort of said, well, I'm quite interested in doing kind of like a Catelyn Moran, Lena Dunham style polemic. 
um, can we sort of meet in the middle? And so it kind of became part memoir, part polemic. And that's how the gender games came to be. Well, that's interesting you say that because we've got some questions and one of them is actually <laughs> about that. Um, and it's kind of like ha you're very explicit in um, your desire for it to be a manifesto and not a memoir. Um, and can you just tell us a bit more about that? And, and have you still had people treating it as a straight, that's one of Lena's puns, <laughs> memoir? <laughs> Um, You're welcome. Credit gender festo, Credit if you where will. credit's due. Gender, gender festo. Oh, better than femoir. <laughs> oh, wow. Honestly. Oh. Has anyone said that? I've heard the word femoir mentioned in a room. Wow. In relation to my well, own. Does this mean memoirs are for men? Well, do we have to call them menoirs? Menoirs. <laughs> 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 it, it was someone else, when we were talking about the prospect of writing a book, a different publisher mentioned, well, femoirs are very big at the moment, with mm. like Amy Schumer, and I was like... <laughs> You mean women are allowed to write now, and that's fashionable. <laughs> We're allowed to write about women's lives. Oh, imagine. <laughs> so, no, it was funny because initially the phrase memoir really made me bristle because I think it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I don't consider myself especially famous, and I, th I think there's a line in the book where I say, I think in order to write a memoir, you should be 80 years old, or you should have changed history like the Spice Girls. <laughs> and I wasn't in the Spice Girls, so I didn't really feel I had the right to release a book as a woman who had not been a Spice Girl. Um, I think a lot of us regret not being a Spice Girl. I know. Well, it's funny, tomorrow night I'm DJing, it's the Push the Button Spice Bus special. Once a year they hire <gasps> Spice Buses to take people they all around London. I want to go on a Spice Bus. They're full, it's sold out. And this, so this year, it started off with one Spice Bus, then there was two, and now there's three Spice Buses because it's so popular. But I am dressing up as full Trixie Firecracker, Jerry Halliwell tomorrow night. So I do get to be a Spice Girl tomorrow. But um, I, I think, I can only imagine the kind of arrogance you would have to have to think you were deserving of a memoir, to be honest. So I kind of avoided it but then so I started out writing and, and I think I put together three sample chapters when we were trying to sell the book and they were quite polemic-y but then I realized that if I was going to write a book about gender the only experience I've had of gender is mine and gender started influencing my life you know before I was born you know in my mum's womb so it was kind of actually well that's where we had to start and then we looked at me as a child and then we looked at me as a teenager and then as oh well, that's a memoir so I realized it was kind of like an accident I've been calling it the accidental memoir because it wasn't meant to be that way but it, it is it's absolutely a memoir I feel like reading it it's very much a set of essays because you've got like the different topics and you very much you know, talk about it from personal experience, but then you go into all of these interviews and the research that you've done with other people. Um, um, but it is essays that are chronological and you're still following your story, but with thematic essays, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it, it's about sort of my interactions. In the book, I've sort of personified gender as this kind of like bogeyman who lives under our beds. And... It really is about the different interactions I've had with him over the course of my life. And it just made sense to do it chronologically. There's a question that we had about that. There's a question we like, had about ask that the question. Too. We have so many questions. Um, you, you gave gender a personality. Yes. And uh, he, he, like, he was a person in the book, but he was a he. Yes. Did you, you have a conversation gender. about... You gendered gender. I did. Does that mean you defeated gender? Is it like Googling Google? Does yeah. the world just explode? <laughs> so there's a reason... There's yeah, we want to know didn't why it happened by accident. So yeah. initially, there was a really, really, in fact, it's a draft, even my editor never saw it. There were 
gender was a he, this bogeyman. And then when I started my transition, gender became a woman because the reason that gender's a thing, I suppose, is because I'm very interested in the messages about where we learn gender from. Like, do we learn gender from our parents? Do we learn it from clothing shops? Do we learn it from Toys R Us? Do we learn it from the television? And initially there was this man sort of telling me this is what boys should be and this is what boys should do and this is how boys dress and this is how boys think and behave. And then when I became a woman, or when I'd rather start my gender transition, um, it was going to become this lady bogey woman <laughs> who would be like, oh, you need to eat less and you need to be thinner and you need to shave your legs and you need more hair and you need more makeup and you need to be more sexually attractive. But then I realized that's not the voice of a woman. That's the voice of patriarchy. That's <laughs> still the voice of a man. Yeah, so it's still actually, so the messages I receive now as a woman, actually, they still very much felt like a man. And so that's why gender remained a bogey man rather than a bogey woman. Because actually, I think those messages I receive telling me how to do woman correctly, they're actually, it's not the voice of feminism and it's not the voice of woman, it's the voice of patriarchy. We both have so many questions. You go, Luce. You go. I was just like, of course, Gino thought it out in my brain. <laughs> this is <laughs> this, this is makes why so much I, more sense I now. wanted to ask that question because that was literally one of the first things that I noted down while I was reading it. I was like, she's gendered gender. What does it mean? That can't have been an accident. <laughs> well, I think I think yeah, and that's because it was a fun. I got a hair in my mouth. <laughs> it was it was a fun way of talking about patriarchy without talking explicitly about patriarchy and sort of I, I think you know patriarchy takes many forms but one of the forms it takes is just in the messages and it's a strange one and I think obviously there's no one way to be transgender and there's as many ways to be transgender as there are transgender people but I think transgender people or genderqueer people or non-binary people are somewhat uniquely positioned to think about patriarchy and gender messages because we've kind of never really been at either end of the spectrum. So when I was living as James, you know, I was, everybody thought I was a boy, but I was desperate to be a girl. So I was very much tuning in to sort of like female FM and trying to work out, trying to garner any sort of message from the universe about what makes a woman a woman, kind of, and how how do you do woman correctly? While so you're picking up messages Yeah, from, picking up yeah. all these messages, while at the same time being very told by lots of people, but you're a boy, so this is what you should do, and you're sitting wrong, and you're speaking wrong, and this, no, don't play with that. So it was very strange, sort of, a very, not unique, obviously, because there's many, many thousands of us, but... It was an, an unusual way to experience both gender and the patriarchy, I think. Speaking of patriarchy, because <laughs> I like the way you talk about it, like between two points, like it's this thing of like, it's kind of like geography. It's like, if I sit between the two points, <laughs> I can see further than both of you fuckers. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It, it makes sense to me in my head. Um, but with, with that, like, do you think you had, like, at what point did you understand feminism? And then at what point did you understand your kind of trans identity? as part of that or like can you can you discover one without the other because i've been on the right side of the internet <laughs> it was dark place and i've um, seen a lot of like trans youtubers who are very right wing and very not feminist like i'd be really interested to hear if you have opinions on that and like when how you're yeah how feminism plays into that 
Oh, this is about. Sorry, I asked you a million questions. We've got a lot to unpack. unpack there. So if you could unpack like all of that, that would be great. (laughs) But like in a bite-sized kind of podcast way. I'm going to sort of work backwards through that. So in terms of very right wing, and I'm going to include all members of the LGBTQ family in that, which is it has become, it's a sad reflection of our media, which is a really good way to get noticed and to cut through a lot of people on the internet is to be the most extreme view possible. And we've seen this. I'm not even going to draw attention to them because they're such wazzocks. You know who I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. And it's a really good way to get your name out there is to be contrary. And I think there's a lot of really professional contrarians. I'm a transgender Donald Trump supporter. Good for you. He wants you dead. I just... I, just, I can't fuck with that. I just, I, you know, I can't be with that kind of... And so that I, d- I don't think there's anything more to it than that. But I think, as we learned with one particularly high-profile person, who, I, again, I'm not going to say his name, which is the right will play along with you, but they're ready to put you out in the cold, which is what happened with Milo. You know, kind of just say the wrong mm. thing, and they're not your friends. These people want you dead, kind of. What I have noticed about the right wing online is they don't make their own content. Like I've never seen like a re- like a huge channel that's just about their own thoughts on things. It's always commenting on other people. So and reaction, I think that's kind of yeah. like yeah. One of the things that I loved about the gender games though, and you kind of expressed it there, is like how little fucks you give. It's so like refreshing. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, it's it's a tricky one. And do you know what? Since the gender games came out, and I think I finished writing in January this year. Um, I've, I've g- I give even fewer fucks. Um, it's str- I think the more time, it's strange. I've had a bit of an, uh, it's strange. I'm, I've reframed the way I use social media a bit, which is I realized that getting into fights with people about my identity on the internet wasn't fun. It was just, just why, why? And I can't remember who it was. I wish I knew, because I definitely owe them a drink. It was just somebody who in passing just sort of said, in a very kind of offhand way, because they don't know what they're talking about. And I was like, <laughs> they don't. They don't. For podcast know listeners, do you know what shocked they're face. talking <laughs> about? It's like they're being sex in the city where Burger tells Miranda he's just not that into you. It has completely changed my life. And um, I think it was about somebody had basically once again called into doubt trans women's place in feminism and indeed in womanhood because actually that's what it's about actually it's not about saying oh i don't think trans women can be feminist it's about saying i don't think trans women are women it's what it when you fry it off that's what it's really boiling down to to be honest and that phrase they don't know what they're talking about has really freed me up because if you've not been trans they don't know what, you're not gonna you're not gonna know what it's like. And again, sometimes it's quite nice to just hang out with other trans men and trans women or non-binary or genderqueer people because there's some overlap there. That sense of that sense of shared experience of feeling so at odds with your body and so at odds with society and so at odds with culture. And it's nice to be with other people who get that. But at the weekend at Edinburgh, somebody I was in I did an event with Rennie at a lodge and somebody asked about, well, how you know, this guy who he was a white, straight, cisgender man, he was like, I'm I'm neither a black woman nor a trans woman, but how can I have more empathy? And I was like, Well, this is it, you're here. You paid money <laughs> to go to an <laughs> to event to with a trans woman and a black woman. And that's kind of what empathy is. You're listening and understanding that you're not gonna live my experience and maybe you're never gonna fully understand it, but you will try. 
And that phrase, you don't know what I'm, <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about, has been really, really freeing. Um, because, yeah, again, if, if you've never been trans, I guess those spaces um, are important for kind of uh, for many minorities because you've got that mutual understanding, that mutual experience. So you're not having to constantly explain something. It's like, okay, no, we've got the foundation, we get it, so we can actually have the the deeper conversations, and we, you know, we get yeah. each other. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, I don't want to, I don't seek to exclude. Cis- I'm no, I mean, I love Rennie's book. I absolutely, if you read one book other than The Gender Games and Hannah Witten's book this year. <laughs> Do read Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Oh, that's on my like, so good. Good. So good. I just so read so it. Good. It's amazing. It's fucking amazing. I have to go back through it and actually learn the facts though because I was like, there's so many facts and they're all true. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's an it's incredible book. I don't think I'm going to be writing Why I'm No Longer Talking to Cisgender People About Gender. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm going to be doing that anytime soon. But, um, you know... There is, I think, sometimes when things get... Because, and I've talked about this a lot, I think, especially online, especially on Twitter in particular, there is a slight element of gaslighting going on, whereby if enough people tell you you're not a woman and you never will be, you start to think, no, but I'm not a woman and I never will be. And so sometimes it's important to kind of retreat back to either really chill people or just to touch base with other trans and non-binary people who are like, no, you're not fucking crazy. This is something that we've been through as well. Oh. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Wait. You okay? <laughs> I've got um, a question. Oh, you got you a go. question? No, you go. Okay. Um, oh, so obviously on Twitter, as well as the negative side of people just telling you what you are and what you're not, um, there's also, you're acting as a role model for so many young people. Um, when was the first time you were aware of other, of, of like, let's say, of trans or a trans woman or a trans man as a concept, like anywhere in the yes, media, in your life? It was late. It was really, really late. And that's why, you know, much is written in the right wing press about kind of like, ooh, this sort of epidemic of trans people or this sort of powerful trans lobby. Lol, I had to wait two years for an NHS appointment. So powerful. Um, um, There's a lot written about, but it's no great mystery. It's just that media representation has increased. Some of it good, some of it bad. Um, You know, I I doubt now there's very many queer youth in the world who don't know what a trans or non-binary person is. God, if Caitlyn Jenner's good for one thing, it's that there's nobody (laughs) in the world, there's nobody in the world now who doesn't know what a trans woman is. She's been on Vanity Fair. So it's kind of like, it's not a big mystery. For me, it's a funny one because all of my early experiences with trans people were they were quite a lot older. And so I didn't really see them they didn't look like me or sound like me or live like me. We're talking sort of transgender women in their 50s or 60s. And I was sort of in my early 20s. So I didn't quite join the dots. Um, and, you know, I did. I watched Nadia on Big Brother like everybody else. And I understood that that was a thing. But really, it was, I suppose, the big catalyst was moving to London. As much as I... So I basically, I lived in Brighton. Then I moved to London. And now I'm back in Brighton. But... Um, don't tell my GP, they still think I'm in London. Um, <laughs> but um, so I, Brighton is a fantastic queer space, but not massively trans, strangely. I'd know, I knew one trans man 
And Rory, Rory's experiences in this book is gay, so he his experience was really important to me, actually. But I moved to London, and that first year I was in London, I wrote this book is gay. And I had to track down a whole bunch of trans and non-binary people for that book because I wanted it to be for LGBT people, the whole community. And it was through talking to various trans women that... And actually, I guess... I don't know, would I... I I, I imagine I would have got there in the end, but it was just them basically echoing my head to me. You know, them sort of saying, when I was a child, I used to lay in bed and wish that I would wake up a girl. And I was like, oh yeah, me too. And, you know, when I was a child, I used to go to a toy shop and just cry because I couldn't have the toys I wanted. Oh yeah, me too. And eventually I was like, oh fuck. Right. <laughs> and it really it was it sense. was kind of that thing. And I just didn't... It turns out there is a word for somebody who has wanted to change gender their whole life. And it is transgender. But it was so strange. It's a bit like, you know, getting somebody to draw a rhinoceros when they've never seen one. They're going to tell you you're fucking crazy. You know, it's this big beast. It's got four legs. It's got grey hide. It's got a horn on its head. You draw some absolute shit, let's be honest. <laughs> so, like... It was like that. I just didn't join the dots because there just wasn't enough representation in Bradford in the late eighties. <laughs> you know. Shockingly, shocking. I know. Um, one of the things that you kind of uh, vaguely touch on in the gender games as well um, is like the YouTube community and vlogging. And I, <laughs> this is one bit. I think I just highlighted it where you're like, I don't get vlogging. I remember <laughs> this, <laughs> which I just I was like, oh, that's sweet. Um, but. Um, I think what's so exciting about that is that you've got young trans people, and especially like really quite young, like t late teens, um, documenting their transition. And you can't really see that anywhere. Like I don't in in mainstream media, the yeah. actual process. Like you see, like mm. um, obviously uh, Kate and Jenna did a big reveal, but you didn't see her process. Yeah, yeah there's like month on month HRT videos. Which yeah, yeah. Oh and, and, so and also they're so popular. Like yeah. the community is huge and the fact that so many people watch those videos just proves there's a demand for it yeah i think it's interesting when you talk to any trans person under 30 they immediately point to youtube as the most important resource to them um i did an interview with for my glamour column with freddie mcconnell from the guardian and he, for him, so he's about eight years younger than me. And for him, it was all about people on YouTube. And it's really frustrating because I'm exactly, I was rolling out of town on the last bandwagon before YouTube started. <laughs> just missed it, just by the skin of my teeth. The doors closed. <laughs> it was, it was. Is it like sliding doors? Because, <laughs> so, so I went to university in 2000 and it was a revelation that, you know, internet was readily available and it was broadband as well for the first time so at home you know we did we did have broadband but it was crap so it certainly wasn't fast enough to be watching videos on for example so yeah so it was so it's frustrating because i i think had i been more ingrained within youtube culture i would have transitioned sooner absolutely ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, so it wouldn't be the Banging Book Club if we didn't talk about sex. <laughs> I've never had sex personally, but I enjoy. <laughs> oh, well, I just I read mean, a whole now she's book. We've definitely read the book, Judith. We read. We've the definitely book. had a lot of sex. Um, so we wanted to know, like, what were the hardest and easiest parts to write, and also you share a lot, and how much, um, like, what was your thought process in terms of like how much you share, what you, uh, you know, what you keep for yourself and are you like a hundred percent happy and no regrets with what is in the book or you have some like oh god I can't also, believe that I wrote did that. your parents or anyone in your family read those chapters oh, yeah. because um I don't know if there's like read the five book, there's, pages yeah, five pages of like so, mum don't read this like stop now the page stop it's like I know you're still here mum yeah <laughs> it's like turn now well, it's so funny. So I thought, and it's so funny, I was out, <laughs> well, are you ready for a massive fucking name drop now? I was out for dinner a couple of weeks ago with Damien Barr and Catelyn Moran. Okay, let's just, should we just go pick that name up off pick the floor? Um, <laughs> but it was funny, they were like, yeah, this is what happens when you release a memoir. And I was like, you could have fucking warned me. Um, so I thought I was very in control of what was going in that book. And it's interesting, so in terms of the sort of the racier bits, I was quite happy to do that. It's nothing I wouldn't talk about with my friends. You know, I've never, ever considered myself a children's author. And I know we had Lucy Saxon somewhere in the crowd. Holla. <laughs> it's strange because we get clobbered with, oh, you're a children's writer. I have never written a children's book. I can't see a day when I will. Oh, actually, I have done. <laughs> but uh, but that's, it's, a it's a different vibe completely. But, um, you know, I, d I write for teenagers. And I believe teenagers talk about sex a lot. So it's fine. And I was happy to do that. It's nothing I wouldn't say with my friends. Look at it that way. And there were things I protected. There's very little of my family in there. Mm. I figured, you know, my mum, my dad, my sister, basically for the purposes of this book, my sister doesn't exist. She's mentioned in the most passing of terms because she's got kids and I didn't want to bring her kids into it. So I thought I was being quite smart. <laughs> However... <laughs> And the problem, so the, there was a problem, there was a bit of backlash. What happened was I wrote about a very brief relationship I'd had with a footballer. Ooh. And um, because I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was this was a ridiculous thing. I fucking loathe football. If he hadn't told me he was a footballer, I would have known it could have been anyone. This man could have been anyone. But he was like, oh, I'm a footballer. And I was like, oh. Um, okay, good for you. Um, what is this football you speak of? <laughs> um, and I didn't really think anything of including him in the book. 
And obviously when the book went off to The Guardian, that was the bit they chose to serialise. Because why wouldn't it be? And I was so naive. So The Guardian serialised it in their glossy, lovely weekend magazine. We did a sexy photo shoot. It was already good. But again, very naive. It was my first ride at the rodeo. And again, Lucy will know that working within the YA community, we are constantly fighting a kind of literary snobbery, which is that our books are not proper books, our books are not for grown-ups, when will you write a proper book? And largely, we are ignored by the mainstream media. Um, If you can get a review in a mainstream paper, you're doing really, really well. There's like four journalists and they do very good work, but it's very hard to get impressed. So I kind of wasn't prepared for the kind of scrutiny that an adult book could get. And this is where I would have been probably wiser to speak to Catelyn and Damien before the book came out. And so The Guardian chose to serialise the chapter about sex. And then I didn't realise that obviously that then becomes syndicated. So it was reported in both the Daily Mail and The Sun. And The Sun reported it, I believe the headline was... Prem star trans fling shock. Oh my god. They're not even words. <laughs> That's not even a sentence. And unfortunately Where's the verb? <laughs> and unfortunately, whereas so I'd figured, oh my mum's friends don't read The Guardian, some of them do read The Sun. And so it got back to my mum via the Sun. So she didn't have to read the chapter. She didn't even have the to the chapter came it to came her. It came to her and it was the Sun piece in particular, it didn't report that it was from a book. It didn't report that I was a writer. Yeah. I was basically, it w- read like a kiss and tell. I was Alicia Duval. You could have got so much more money for that. Right? <laughs> um, and so my mum, I did, I got, and my mum was really upset. My mum just thought I'd sold us. my mum thought I'd sold a kiss and tell. And she was really, really upset. And my mum's of a different generation. And I think, you know, me and my friends, there is nothing that's off the table. You know, we've talked about everything about sex, about our bodies, about our relationships. I forget sometimes that that's quite new to our generation. We're kind of very post-girls, post-sex in the city. And we talk about... Are we things. post-girls now? That's interesting. We are so <laughs> post-girls. And so it was, yeah, it's tricky. My mum, it almost, it was the fact that a person, it was nothing to do with my gender, it was the fact a human being would talk about their sex life publicly. She was horrified. Horrified. She was really upset. Aww. Yeah. Whoops. What about the um, the rest of the reaction to that? Or, or like, other than uh, the impact on your mum, how, how yeah. are you with the rest of, like, the sharing and... I don't really yeah. care about anybody but my mum. Yeah. So it's kind of like... That's um, a good way to be, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> as if I give two shits about anybody else, things kind of... I mean, if, if you think that a woman having sex is in some way shocking, then I we're not going to be friends anyway, really. So it's kind of <laughs> just like, um, I mean, yet surprise, the 32-year-old woman has had sexual intercourse in her life. Ima- I mean, imagine. <laughs> imagine. It's insane. Speaking of oversharing, we were really interested in the part of the book where you included Trisha. Oh, my God. And you were yeah. on the Trisha show. That's and you were like, yeah. where can we see <laughs> that? Can Is we it access this footage, please? It's, it's not. <sighs> but the thing is, it must exist Somewhere. We need to Can get someone our hands tell the story it? for. So, it's so, yeah. Yeah. so basically, we blagged our way onto Trisha because we thought it would be hilarious. This is when you were at university. We were at university. We were freshers. I mean, how to how to really deluxe your fresher experience? <laughs> Go on, Trisha. Um, and we basically concocted. We lied our way onto Trisha, which 
is interesting because actually after we'd done Trisha, there was a similar scandal with Vanessa Feltz's show, which is basically people just making stuff up to go on TV, kind of. Um, and I think they've become a lot more stringent now. Um, and so, yeah, we thought that would be a fun idea. It was, it was, in the end, it kind of it ended badly because we didn't realise that one of the girls we went on with was actually quite vulnerable and she had some mental health problems. And had we known that, we wouldn't have done that because she really struggled. And Mars the point, you know, a lesson to learn about the media is that they're always after a narrative, they're always after an angle. And with Lola, oh, just named her. Actually, that's not her real name, so it doesn't matter. That's with the book name. Yeah, with, <laughs> with Lola, it's kind of, they painted her in a really bad light and they really slut-shamed the shit out of her. And that was kind of in the days before slut-shaming, you know, became so well known, I guess. And so, yeah, she came off really badly and that was a real shame. Otherwise, it would have just been like... Lols. Lols. And yeah. it turned out to not be lols. But I've looked. I mean, that footage will exist somewhere. They, d- they do archive everything. And if if I were to ever become properly famous, I'm sure someone would dig it out. But I think the etiquette around sort of showing footage of me when I was living as James, I don't know where people would stand on that. It would be a bit grimy, perhaps. Because as as an author, you know, I popped up on Newsnight and stuff. So, I, And I was on this morning talking about books as well. I don't know if they would use that footage without my permission. If they did, I think that would be a bit tacky. Yeah, no, I see yeah. that. Um, you talk about, like, even just tonight, there's been, like, two or three times where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not properly famous. Like, I'm a bit famous. But you have a whole bit in your book where you talk about how fame-hungry you were when you were younger and auditioning for all of these different like reality TV shows. Um, that's so interesting to me because I feel like there is definitely a stigma around people admitting that they want to be famous. Mm. It's a funny one. I mean, it's strange. I was so, I mean, the book, If Only by Jerry Halliwell was so <laughs> influential <laughs> to me. Honestly, I picked it once Guardian asked Next me for my year, most guys. life-changing reads and I picked that and they were like, are you is sure? Is there any sex in it? Can we have it on the Bangalore no, Club reading list? No, she's very oh. chaste in it. Um, but I identified a lot with that and I think there is I think it's a certain personality type that is looking for something that sort of sense of and Adele's talked about it as well when she was interviewed about the Spice Girls she said she wanted to get out this sense of wanting to this sense of needing an escape or knowing that there's something bigger better waiting for you down the line and I'd had such a horrible time at school with bullying and just feeling like such an outcast that there was this thing at the back of my mind, that, which is there's something waiting for you in your future, kind of. And at the time, I thought it was this quite nebulous fame. You know, and it didn't matter what the fame was for. It didn't matter what the skill was or what the talent was. It was just like blind love. Just, yeah, know. adoration. Yeah, yeah. What, and what I was looking for was adoration. And I think possibly at the time it was because I felt and I talk about this in the book, that I felt the love in my life was very conditional. That because I felt like if people knew the real me, they would not love me. You know, that I wasn't a good enough boy and I wasn't the best possible James that I could be. And that if I was honest about who I really was, I would be alone and that I would be kind of my family would turn their backs on me, my friends would turn their backs on me. So what better kind of love to have than a completely one-sided love from a faceless audience, you know? And I think, you know, what's better than love? Adoration. And actually, as an adult, 
you know, that's bollocks, you know. <laughs> and Madonna, Madonna talks very well about this in her song, Substitute for Love. I, th I think it couldn't be much clearer what she, where she was going with that song. You know, fame is a very different thing and, you know, it's nice and it's, you know, I, I still don't really consider myself famous. Although it's strange, the last year has slightly seen things change because there's been a lot of publicity around the gender games and I've done some stuff on TV and I've done stuff in papers and magazines. For the first time ever, I have people coming up to me now and that's weird, but lovely, really, really lovely because I tell you what, when people come up to you, they are 100% lovely. <laughs> Nobody is coming up to you and saying, I think you're a cunt, which is lovely and that's <laughs> nice. People do that on Twitter, but not in real life. And that's the difference, I think. Um, but um, it's been, it's been, you know, and sort of being sort of not famous, but kind of being notable, notable, you know. And you have taken words. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so Gender Games is my tenth book, so and, and I think you know I've been There's in so many books. I've been <laughs> in the industry. It's about eight years I've been within publishing now, so it's kind of it's. You know, it's a strange one, and it comes with lovely things. You know, I consider myself incredibly, incredibly fortunate that every single day when I go to work, I do so with a little song in my heart. I love it. I'm doing a job that I adore. And how many people can really say that? It's such, such a privilege. That's fantastic. Um, the fact that I get sent some nice freebies every once in a while. Lovely. That's a lovely perk. But kind of... Now it's not so much about just wanting people to adore me because I had no self-esteem. We've moved on from that now. Um, and it's interesting, this year, maybe don't tweet about this, I'm trusting you, I was approached by the producers of Big Brother and I said, oh my God, Celebrity Big Brother. And they were like, Big Brother. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, <laughs> oh. and I was like, Girl, no. <laughs> no. And that's interesting because immediately I was like, well, no, because that's not something I want anymore. And this is really interesting because about 12 years ago, I auditioned for Big Brother and I got down to, I think, the last 50. And I was told, you know, don't book a holiday this summer. Wait by your telephone. You know, and I, I went through lots of screening and psychological tests. And had they asked me then... I would have bitten their hand off. I would have been in that house because, again, I didn't quite know what it was I wanted. I just wanted, again, this thing I thought I wanted. Whereas now, lo and behold, I was asked, would you like to go on Big Brother? And I was like, absolutely not. I think it would be detrimental to my career. I think it would be detrimental to my mental health. Um, it would be awful. Because I suppose those shows kind of make you live as a caricature, don't they? They're kind of like, they want you to play up to stereotypes as well as and put you in you antagonistic know. positions as well yeah. they well, want yeah. you to act out and it would be horrible i know enough about myself now to know that that is not a situation i would be happy in at all um it would be it would be awful so it, it's strange I, I think because again sort of the notability kind of came quite late in life i think my first book came out when i was 28 i think so i was a little bit i'd you know, I'd had one career as a primary school teacher. I was a grown-up. I'd had relationships. You know, it was... I felt, you know, I wasn't in any way being exploited. And one of one of my concerns about both publishing... I guess it's true of YouTube, and I think it's possibly true of TV and the music... And we were talking about mu the music industry earlier, which is taking sort of 16 or 17-year-olds. It's 
I think it, it's a bit dodgy. It's a bit, it's, you know, we have child labor laws for a reason. And kind of, I think, exposing sort of 15, 16 year olds to what I've experienced this year would have been horrific, you know, because there's been some real, you know, people on the internet, stuff written about me online and in newspapers that would have been really hard to read as a 16 year old. Whereas as in my 30s, I'm kind of mm -hmm. like, I know myself and the people who know me know that's not true. You know, there's been some absolute bollocks written about me on the internet this year and I'm kind of like, I'm able to sort of laugh it off and go, yeah, sure. You know, was it this week somebody came to one of my events in Edinburgh and said, Juno Dawson denounces feminism. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Sure, sure, Jan. Yeah. I mean, if you'd like that, to that do that, we're giving you a platform. Like, now's the time. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Really against that feminism. <laughs> and I was like, but I know, but that's, I'm, I feel very confident in that anybody who has literally ever spoken to me or read anything I've ever written knows that that's just not true. But, if I was 17 years old, I think things, that would be really hard, I think. I think we're going to open it up to questions now. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, so if we could have lights up and then hands up if you have a question. If there are no questions, do you have more questions? We've I got, we've got, okay, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Or we're also oh, taking. we've got questions anyway, so we're good. Oh my God. There's one there. First hand up. There's a microphone coming oh, for no. you. For you? <laughs> yeah, sure. Hi. Hello. Um, uh, I was just going to say, um, you talk in the book, obviously, about the fact that you were a primary school teacher and also that, is it with Stonewall that you go into schools as yeah. well? Um, and I guess I just wondered what you thought about what should be included kind of in the curriculum or what children who are in primary and secondary school should be kind of learning because it's not compulsory at the moment to have anything in, you know, at all. <laughs> no, I mean, I think things, things are improving. Um, is it... Oh... I've forgotten her name. It's not Amber Rudd, is it? Justine Greening. Justine Greening. So, yeah. She's our resident sex, sex educators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, sex or relationships and sex education will be compulsory in all schools from uh, September 2019. But, but we don't know if that's going to be LGBT yeah. yes. inclusive. Um, it's strange. So, again, I'm very, very aware that I, when I was a teacher, I taught in Brighton, whereby we had such an obvious in because there were very few classes where there wasn't one queer family in the class and so right from reception children knew that some kids have two dads and some kids have two mums however that might look um and so it was quite it was almost such an easy but the nice thing with small children with primary age children is that they're just very open-minded they haven't learned <coughs> yet to be prejudiced and haven't learned to discriminate so it was, I think it's kind of really good to get in early. Um, again, no, <laughs> I mean, it's so, again, it barely needs saying, does it? But no child is LGBTQ because they've read it in a storybook <laughs> or they've seen it on TV. It's just this idea that you could indoctrinate people. It's just insane. And I mean, it's the sim similar accusation that being trans is trendy, which is something that I hear a lot. Um, you know, you'd give up after three days. You know, I, I challenge anyone, and I'm sure probably there is a TV network planning this right now, to do it. You know, transition for a year. You know, present present yourself in the transition challenge. I mean, it's imagine. A, I mean, it could <laughs> Cherry Healy or you know somebody like that. Cherry Always Healy Cherry transitions. <laughs> you know, kind of. It w it could be one of those BBC three things, couldn't it? You know, just try it. It's you know, it's not fun you know it's something that you're doing because 
you know, you wholeheartedly believe this is your best shot at your life. You know, the idea that you would do it because it's been in vogue is hilariously bad, you know, kind of. And so I just, I think, you know, I would happily, happily work with any government, actually, to plan PSHE. But I think the trick, actually, Same. is in just start, <laughs> starting early. Yeah. yeah just, definitely. I think, and appropriately. I don't think, you know... One one thing that, you know, so when did I start teaching PSHE? A really long time ago. Sex education is so carefully planned into the curriculum. From even from, you know, year one, just saying, you know, um, boys and girls might have different parts. You know, that's that's kind of what you did in <coughs> year one. Nobody was teaching children about sex until they were like 10, 11 years old. There's a show on uh, BBC Two at the moment. I think there's been one part out second part coming called no more boys and girls um about uh going into i think it's a primary school and and kind of like trying to teach a class in a very gender neutral way uh so would recommend yeah i mean it's strange because i mean these were conversations again this idea that this is all some newfangled things but if i was teaching about 10 years ago and i started um you know there was already moves to say please don't say right Boys go line up at the door. Girls go line up at the door. There was already a move away from that anyway, and it's just it's just at the moment it's tabloid fodder. Yeah, really cheap tabloid fodder. I think I saw another hand up like in this area. It's Lucy Saxon. <laughs> Hiya. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I Hello. love you. Hi. Love you too. So um, Hannah already mentioned the no more boys and girls, and I've seen a lot of stuff online of like parents raising their children gender neutral and like abolishing gender and what is gender anyway. And obviously, to transition, you have to kind of know enough uh, for gender to be a thing to know that you are not in the correct one. So how do you feel kind of about the whole? gender is a concept and a social construct and doesn't actually exist kind of thing? Well, it definitely is because, again, World Health Organization defines it as such. And I think as well, and again, it, I'm, I sit here as a white middle-class woman, a white middle-class transgender woman, but nonetheless, and we have to be very careful not to center concepts of gender around the white West. And particularly when you look around the world, there are very different ideas about this is what a man does and this is what a woman does so it has to be a construct because otherwise all the women and all the men would be living exactly the same life and we're not you know wh where we are in the world our class the money we have the color of our skin um, whether we're able-bodied or not able-bodied these things will define the way in which we can live out our roles as a man or a woman um it's funny, sometimes you need to hear it from someone else. Again, and it was talking to Renietta Lodge, which is, she just said, what's fucking wrong with looking like a woman? And I was like, what's wrong with looking like a woman? <laughs> and I was kind of, you know, I get, I've been accused of all sorts of crazy crap online because I like wearing skirts and makeup. So what? It's <laughs> apparently this, this means I'm a drag queen. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, but then, but what about a woman who wants to wear a pair of high heels? Lucy. 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 And me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tell us, Lucy, why are you I wearing like those shoes? Down. Why are you wearing lipstick and high heels? Yeah, Luke's? God, Lucy. I saw them in office earlier today and I like them. So but I feminist. Them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Um, I think it's, again, it's, it's interesting because, again, and I've had to say this, it's, it's the big disclaimer. I do not speak for all trans people. And, um, 
And it's really important that there are, there's no right way to be trans. And I think this idea that trans women are somehow a caricature of womanhood is really fucking offensive to my friend Rebecca Root, off the telly, name drop, she'll get that. Let's go pick that up. <laughs> um, who doesn't give two shits about makeup. Rebecca only wears makeup when she's on TV. She hates it. She hates how it feels on her skin. So to say that all trans women are parading around looking the way I look now is bullshit and it's just transphobia. It's like saying all Muslim women do this or all black women do this. It's it's bollocks. But again, this comes from all through my life. I was watching television. I was watching women in the media. I was watching my mother, watching my sister. And very from a very young age, thinking to myself, well, I like what she's wearing. No, I don't really like that. I like how she's got her hair. So I was already kind of forming my sense of self, even as a child. Um, I want to get through as many questions as possible. So hands up if you have someone. We'll try and do, like, quick fire. Are you telling me to just answer more fucking quickly? That was uh, the polite way <laughs> yeah. of doing that? I'm so glad also, you could tell. if you have ideas of how we can get on Trisha, <laughs> I think <laughs> me, Hannah the and Lucy should us. invent a story. And does Trisha even still air? No. Oh, I love Jeremy, Jeremy Kyle. Jeremy Kyle. Jeremy, 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 Jeremy Kyle. There was a question over here. Do you have, you have the microphone? Hello, uh, yes. How did you manage um, altering your voice? Because um, me, I'm personally at the very early stage of starting my Woo. transition. I'm waiting for my first appointment. But Good luck. My, <laughs> you, my voice is the thing that I'm most self-conscious about. So I was wondering, how did you manage starting it and what sort of support did you use, whether it was the NHS or YouTube? Um, well, can I say, first of all, bravo to you, because the early days are the hardest. And it will, I swear to God, I know it's become like the mantra, but it does get better, honestly. And I don't know how I did the early days. You did uh, voice therapy, didn't you? Yeah, it's been funny. I But I went a really long way. Basically, my vocal coaching kind of got lost in the mix through a mix-up with referrals. I am now having my NHS vocal therapy. But to be honest, YouTube videos are great. It really is the more you use the top register of your voice, the more natural it gets. Now, the only time my voice drops down is if I'm really, really cross and shouty. Like, I find screaming quite hard work. <laughs> but um, so it's, it's usually when my dog is doing something really ill-behaved. <laughs> but it's, it's tricky, you know, and it, it, it works vocal. It works better if you're um, a trans man because the testosterone does deepen your voice all by itself. There is, there's all you have to do, it's acting. You've just got to train yourself. One of my favourite parts of the book is when you write about how, uh, when you get catcalled now, um, you lower your voice as low as possible. Well, I've well, <laughs> st st stopped doing that because I've realised I know I know too many trans people who've been attacked, and so I'm just like now it's it's strange. It's funny. I, guess I think it's fun thinking about the idea that you could do. Yeah, that. but it's it's not worth it for my safety. It's you know it's taken me a while to recognise how vulnerable women are on the street, and trans women are part of that vulnerability. I don't think we're any more or less vulnerable, but it's. It's tricky, and you know, trans violence is the statistics are really sobering. But no, yeah, no, it's you know, it's creepy. Just today, just today, leaving the flat in London, I'm staying at my friend's flat in London. Came out, there was some guys installing new ultra fast broadband, and they couldn't fucking let me walk past, could they? Not. Today. Do you ever take pictures of them? 
I'd like to take pictures and email that. it to their boss. Be like, hello, mm. BT. <laughs> I don't I think should, it's I BT. I don't know really. who it I should. We had a question down here. I remember a hand. Um, hi. My question links kind of to the first two again, but maybe kind of even before that. Um, so my mum is a childminder in rural North Yorkshire. Yay! Um, <laughs> and um, so I've helped with the kids like all my life really and worked for a bit like kind of full time for a couple of weeks here and there when I need the money um, and I was wondering if you would like recommend kind of bring helping to bring them up in a more gender neutral way and like how to kind of go about that because I do think it's a good place for kids to be because mm. there's like such a range of toys that we've got we've got like a little pretend cooker and dolls and cars and Duplo and like everything, um, but how can you kind of be a bit more proactive than that? It's tricky because the issue, and this has been the common complaint about the BBC Two documentary, which is it slightly and particularly shames girls for being girly. I think the message of this show is, God, yeah, let's just go back to a time where just everybody was playing with Lego, and that's great if you like Lego. <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of, and it's it's strange because one of my friends at the moment is having a really tough time because despite her very overt attempts to parent her child neutrally, her daughter just wants eye-blisteringly pink shit. And she's kind of like, this is not what I fucking work towards. <laughs> but I, I sort of said to her, I said, but is that what she really wants? Is anybody, you know, who's putting the pressure yeah, on exactly. her Yeah, exactly. If, have if this? you've tried to raise the neutral, yeah. then... And so I think it's about providing like options. Pink. And I think, you know, about giving... So, again, I'm, I'm, I've always... I've been very, very careful to not try to throw my parents under the gender bus. But it's like the Venga bus, but slightly <laughs> different. Um... I've always been quite careful, but you know, I was given very little choice. This is what you're wearing. And I've just been given this shit toys, toys I never played with. You know, don't fucking give me a toolkit, that's bullshit. Um, although I did need it for the flat pack furniture. Actually, I did think that yesterday, which is, you know, I did think it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm quite good at flat pack. But, um, but, um, we've come full circle. Full circle. <laughs> um, but I think it's just li listening. Children know what they want. And I, th I think that's, again, the message in the book, which is just listen to them and don't shame a child. You know, if a child is expressing, you know, an option for very gendered toys, either side, you know, don't shame them. If a little boy just wants a toolkit, just get him a toolkit. Just do get him a toolkit. Do we have one more question? I think we've got time for one more. Oh, there's a very eager hand over here. <laughs> Hi. I finished reading Margot and Me last night, Yay, and it's so you. good. It's so sad that there's this prejudice around YA because it's amazing. Thank I have you. a question, though. <laughs> it wasn't just a compliment. We'll uh, always <laughs> take compliments. Um, I was just wondering if there was this pivotal moment where you were like, right, now I'm in my own skin, whether if, if it was physical or mental, or Ooh. if it, you're, I don't know. <laughs> Oh my god, the wine is gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a strange one. Um, there's no magic wand. You don't. It, maybe the revelation has been that I feel exactly the same as I felt before. And this is again sort of referring to knocking you sometimes go on the internet, which is, oh, she's been a woman for ten minutes. And you're like, but no, actually, stick of rock. You know, running through my car has always been the same human. 
be it Juno or James, nothing has changed, really. I'm still fundamentally what I was. It's just that now I've stopped trying to be anybody other than me. You know, this is truly the most me, me there has ever been. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I've sort of gone down a medical route. Not all trans people do. I felt that I wanted my body to kind of go with my soul. But what's interesting is I've never felt like a particularly spiritual <laughs> person. I'm not religious. But I've started to realize recently that a lot of the things I'm saying and a lot of the things I believe and feel about myself, and this is my new favorite word, they're a bit witchy. Oh, I love that. It's a bit witchy. It's a <laughs> bit spiritual. It's a bit, dare I say it, soul. I don't know. It feels But like then if gender is a symbol, then you're kind of like, you're interacting with that kind of like, yeah, I don't, I, I get, I get what you're saying. It's a bit science fiction and I'm really feeling it. I'm really <laughs> loving this idea that, you know, there is an inner me, you know, kind of an, you know, but a lot of people will charge at transgender people with science, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. I think there's a consciousness in me. I think there is something. So in that way, witchy. is gender like a horoscope? And like, <laughs> you hear what you want to hear about it. And you're like, oh, that's so me. But and then you, you got given a horoscope. You were like, this isn't no. my horoscope. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it possi like, possibly. How far can we take this metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit X-Files. And I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I think possibly there is more to us than just DNA. I, ju I don't know. I, I at least I think there is because that's a bit cold and clinical and weird but um it's just there's a pra practical issues around being trans around being a woman exist you know it's hard you know it is grueling like I've said that particularly that that first year was how the fuck I got through that I will never know and I've no Freddie McConnell refers to it as gender euphoria which you're so excited to be living your more authentic life, that you kind of swim through a barrage of mockery and people laughing at you and spitting at you and all those things. But then it calms down. Either your skin gets thicker or people just, I guess, leave you alone. I don't know. Still not every I don't know. It's still not easy. But um, I've forgotten why that sentence started. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you feel like it's more effortless now rather than trying to force yourself to be you you're now like oh I'm just me and it's easy yeah it is it's it feel and it's strange and I write in the book as well about why I think now I could have a relationship because all through my 20s my relationships were just a car wreck in one way or another and that was because you know it really was the biggest ever case of it's not you it's me there really there really there was something wrong and what was wrong was that I was nobody's boyfriend and I was nobody's husband, you know, and that was what was wrong. It felt fundamentally fucked up. On the fundamentally fucked up note, thank you, Juno, for joining us. Thanks for... What was that a segue? I, just, I know. I literally <laughs> just think... Speaking I, of... Gender is fucked up. It's That's fucked what up we've been talking over. about. I thought you were referring to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think sometimes this podcast is fucked up. <laughs> True. Whatever. Um, and thank you to our lovely live audience for all coming thank tonight. Um, next month, we are reading The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. So Someone's like, yes. <laughs> Who's read The Virgin Suicides? Isn't Ooh, it okay. bloody brilliant? 
beautiful. I'm a okay, chapter guys. in and I I'm am excited. excited. I'm discuss- if they is hate it, is it, it YA? YA? Please discuss, is it a YA novel? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. I, think I it- mean, it depends on what you think. I think it'd be amazing for people who are teenagers, but yep. like... It, if you're talking about like R-rated things that they would strike off the curriculum. No spoilers, okay? Spoilers. I mean, <laughs> the title. Anyway, right. Um, thank you all. If anybody brought a book. If anyone brought a book, uh, we can do signings. Should we plug lovely. Our Twitter on the podcast? Oh, yeah. Please <laughs> follow. It's a bit meta. Please follow at Banging Book Club on Twitter and go over to iTunes and subscribe and leave us a nice rating. And, and do you know where great. can we find <gasps> you on social media? Can you do a noise review of your own book? Of what, what? <gasps> noise oh, review. Yes. So noise on our review. podcast, we do noise reviews. So every time we like or don't like a book, obviously we're really intellectual and we use words to review books, but but we also just make sounds. And <laughs> so we have a noise review. We also ask, would you have sex with this book? <laughs> we could also potentially do that. Yeah. So what's the noise review of so the like, Or like how you here? found writing the book in a noise review. Should we give her an example? Oh, I, t- I would say, I would say, huh. Because I learned a lot <laughs> when writing it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's kind of my review of reading it. Well. <laughs> 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 like a positive, like not a, huh. like a, huh. <laughs> kind of yeah. yeah, like a light bulb moment. Yeah, I like it. I love it. Um, do we have any weird admin to do to round up the actual <laughs> podcast? Um, I don't know. This is what we do. We just sit around the microphone. I know, we're like, like um, what do we have to say? Do Follow Bang Your Book Club, at Bang Your Book Club, Twitter, in it. And where can we find, are you at Juno Dawson? At Juno Dawson everywhere, yeah. Amazing. Lovely. And obviously, if you haven't read the gender games yet, go read it. I think that's, you know, that's the whole point of this. Read the gender (laughs) games. Criticise and question gender always. There we go. Thank you for listening. Oh, and thank you to Zadell for having us as well. It's gorgeous. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.